We have a new partner to the podcast, Luminate Advertising. They're an award-winning advertising and marketing firm, and their brand research director, Mary Tilger, is a personal friend of mine, and I encourage you to contact Luminate Advertising just to make your company shine if you need any graphic design, copywriting, printing, radio spots, trade show displays, digital marketing, promotional products. Everyone wants to represent their company in just a professional manner, so call Mary. She has a great marketing ear. She can help you out. Her phone number is 303-460-8703. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Dr. Sharon Livingston. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. John, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, I'm glad we got introduced because you're the founder and president of the Livingston Group for Marketing. Yes. You have an incredible, uh, diverse background. Your background sounds a lot like mine, but we've walked totally different paths. But you're a brand, uh, you do brand marketing research. Uh, that's what your company does. Uh, you mm-hmm. implement all these interesting protective techniques to discover how brands and people interact. Uh, you've also wrote a, a, wrote a book, Get Lost Girlfriend, How I Found Myself When My Best Friend Dumped Me, which is a bestseller in the grief and loss category on Amazon. Yes. Right? You have a PhD in psychology. You consult for over a third of the Fortune 100 companies on branding questions, and you've developed all these proprietary methods that you use to quantify all of this data and actually make it usable. Uh, you're certified in neurolinguistic programming and Myers-Briggs and um, my goodness, there's so much that you've done. You're, you're also the founder and president of the International Coach Certification Alliance uh, and you've coached hundreds of men and women in business coaching and life coaching. So my goodness, um, and, and you're going to be giving a TED Talk um, this month, so congratulations yeah. on that, The Eight Signs of a Toxic Friendship. That yeah. is a big deal to get pulled into TED, so my goodness, Sharon, you know what, just as a way to get started, maybe you could just share a little bit, just kind of about your journey and let people get to know you, and then there's some interesting things we're going to get to dive into today for everybody listening. Okay, so... My journey started a very, very long time ago when I was born, right? And um, I, um, I was the fourth child after my parents had decided they weren't having any more kids. And um, so they were, they were a little bit ambivalent about whether or not they wanted me. And so there were all kinds of stories about that. And um, my mother was back working and she, she worked in a store with my dad and uh, to get her attention, I had to learn how to be an interviewer. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but there I was, three years old, and she would come home every now and then to iron my dad's and my brother's shirts, because <laughs> they were almost grown up and I was the baby. And I go, Mommy, what was I like when I was a baby? I guess I wanted to know more about our relationship. Yeah. And she would, she'd say something like, oh, you were cute. But then if I said to her, Mommy, what were you like when you were a baby? she would start telling me stories. And even as a tiny little kid, I learned that if I asked her questions that had a definite answer, yes or no, that would be the end of it. But if I asked her 
an open-ended question, and I didn't know that, that term back then, obviously, that she would go on and on. And that was how I started being an interviewer, even as a tiny tot. And I recognized that when I got older and looked back at what happened there. So, so I've, been, I've interviewed 62,000 people, believe it or not, since I started, um, lots of times in groups, uh, you know, a lot of one-on-ones. And I, um, I had a difficult beginning. I was brought up in a very orthodox Jewish family, and I was brought up with a ton of fear that God was someone to fear. And mm-hmm. so by the time I was 15, I had given it up. And um, was trying to find my soul. And so in the process, I went and I studied psychology, and um, I put myself through school by doing interviewing. You know, I, I was just a natural for it. You know, my mother had taught me. And I developed a very thriving practice working for Fortune 100 companies helping them with their branding, helping them to understand who their customer was. And what my goal there was, was to create a relationship between the company and the people it was serving. So it was a win-win for everyone. Now, is that based on, you know, I'm guessing that perspective, you talked about it's, this is really relationship based. Where does, where does this come from and just how you were raised that this has become such a focus and then something so important for you? So, I'm a heavy-duty extrovert. Like, mm-hmm. I refuel by being with people and by um, feeling connected to people. And most of the people in my family were introverts. Uh, my mother was an extrovert, but but I didn't get any of it. It went to her customers in the store where she cooked food for them, right? Mm. And um, so there were a few things. One of them was I um, I sustained a lot of pain. You know, both emotional and physical. My father, my father had a strap, and he used it. Mm. And so, by the time I was like 13 years old, I started. I had gained a lot of weight. I was, you know, I weighed like 125 pounds now. When I was 13, I weighed 172. Oh my goodness! I think it was a buffer to protect myself from you know, physical and emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I was wrong. I realized it was wrong. I realized that by the time I was 15, I realized that what I learned about religion did not make any sense at all. And I was on a mission to discover myself. And so, you know, psychology became my religion and health food became my, my kosher <laughs> so I, I moved it all. I segued over to another way of being that began to help me make sense out of, you know, being beaten and uh, abused emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think my parents meant to be good parents. Uh, they just didn't know how. They didn't know how. And, and my mother did not know how to deal with a little girl. She was she was much better with my brothers, like much better. Um and I think that I adored her, John. I adored my mother. I didn't even realize. I just adored her. And all I wanted was her love. And yeah. so I worked really hard. I can tell there's a lot of emotion in that statement, Sharon. When, um, 
she was taken off Coumadin abruptly by her doctor. Mm-hmm. When, you know, and I, and she, she had an immediate, like, so I do I, a lot of pharmaceutical research because I work for Fortune 100 companies and among them are the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And when I was on a plane going down to Florida to see her after she had her stroke, I happened, just so happened, you know how things happen, like, you know, it feels like Providence, right? Yeah. Sit, sitting next to the woman who was a product manager on Coumadin, the, the product that she was on. And I told her, we, you know, we got into a conversation. You're probably like me this way. We talk to everyone, right? We talk to people in the elevator. We talk, <laughs> we talk to everyone. Um, yeah, my wife is always like, how do you make friends in the checkout line at the grocery store? I'm like, I don't know. I just say hi to people. And what I say to other people is, you mean you don't? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So you and I are like that. I could tell that about you immediately. And so I'm talking to this woman and she goes, Oh, my goodness. She said, you take someone off Coumadin, they'll have a stroke within two weeks. My mother had a stroke within two weeks, and it was uh, a debilitating stroke. And I was crushed. She died seven months after, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry to hear and that. In the, yeah, thank you. In that seven months, I... I missed her, and I wanted to make amends, if I could, with the part that still wasn't done. And I was on a, uh, I had a problem with my neck, and my uh, my naturopath sent me to a, a person who does craniosacral massage, which, you know, energy and fluids, and they don't even put their hands on you. And so I was on this table, and I was telling you this a little bit before, and I, I was wide awake, and I had this experience where I saw myself, and I hear, I'm wide awake, I, and I see myself walking up these ashen stairs, a mountain, like this dry, white, ashen, sandy mountain. And the higher I go, um, the more I see something in front of me, and I, I see this golden man you know, an old-fashioned garb, like, you know, from ancient times. And he's smiling at me. He's got long golden hair. He's all, he's all golden. The whole thing is golden. And he had wings. And he picks me up as I get smaller. Now I'm really, like, two years old. And he says to me, it's okay. I'm here now. And I started crying. Well, and, you know, in that moment, what, what were you feeling, Sharon? Um, that... That's not something that I had ever heard before those words. I couldn't I couldn't make that up. I was awake and wow. And I even you know, like I was brought up Jewish, so I don't know much about Christianity, but who I saw was Jesus. I thought it was Jesus, even though he had wings, and I don't think they personify Jesus with wings, right? No, not typically. But I thought that's who it was. I believed that's who it was. And the first thought I had was, oh, my God, my mother's going to be so mad at me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're hanging out with Jesus? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm hearing myself say to her, but, Mommy, he was a Jew. You know, like, what's the problem? <laughs> so, um, And he stayed with me. And, like, he had a sense of humor. I would be in a meeting, and I would feel him come up behind me and just wrap his wings gently around me. 
um, and I felt I felt protected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's powerful, Sharon. Yeah. And you know, I think I realized that I've always had to protect myself. You know, I had to protect myself from my father because he had a temper. And when he was mad at us as kids, he would pull out his strap. And, you know, the only one who didn't get beaten was my little sister. He had a special place for my little sister. But my brothers did. They got they were systematically beaten. They'd have to bend over the dining room table and they pull down their pants and my father would beat them. And I'd run into another room and they didn't even have to have done anything. They just got hit. And I wasn't hit as often, but I was beaten on my bare butt as well. And I was terrified. I was just terrified. And I don't know, maybe God being the father, the, 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 the father that I brought, was brought up with was terrifying. And when I thought of God, I thought of an angry Zeus mm-hmm. with a lightning bolt. So to see this gentle, playful spirit come to, to be with me, um, I mean, it was a sense of awe and comfort and really, really, I'm awake. I, I, I didn't make this up. This is happening, whatever this is. What did that do to change your view of the nature of God, Sharon? Um, the idea, like I, I started learning more about who Jesus was and that he wasn't a punishing God. I mean, I grew up with a punishing God. Mm-hmm. And it made it feel like it was a secret. I, I don't usually talk about this like this at all. Uh, and I was married to someone who was an atheist. So, you know, it would seem like nonsense. Um, and so it made me think that there was another way of being in the world that could be kind and loving and um I never lost my hope for love. I never have. You know what? I You can't see it. I'll show it to you when we put the camera on. Um, when things went south with my ex, um, I went out and I bought myself a pendant that's an open heart that no matter what, I'm going to keep an open heart. Mm. And that's what it is. It's an open heart. And how long, how long ago was this, Sharon? Emotional moment. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I didn't hear your question. I'm sorry. I said, how long ago was that, Sharon? The divorce decree was on September 30th, and I found out about it on Friday, so that's why I'm a little bit raw. Mm. Because I had been married for 28 years, and the way it ended, it was um, a shock. Uh, didn't ever expect it to end. I was committed for life. It was not like he went out and had an affair. It was nothing like that. But it was, he was influenced by someone who basically told him I was the wrong person for him. And I found out that this person um, had no no credentials, uh, but was very convincing. And that was the end of that. And that was a year ago. Now, you know, as if you've, if you've gone through this process and you've, I know we also talked a little bit earlier too, that this is, 
helped really connect you to what you want to be known for, your passions and, you, you know, this new understanding of the nature of God. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. So, so about a year ago, I was at a leadership training conference because I always, you know, I'm, I'm a, a constant, a, you know, lifelong learner myself. And I, I'm sure you and I are very similar like this. Like we always want to be open to new ways of helping people. And mm-hmm. I had started a few years ago a path from going from helping corporations to helping people. And one of the things that people would tell me when I'd be running focus groups or doing an interview is, wow, you should be helping people. You're so terrific at this. And so I was trying to give a little bit of love every time I interviewed someone and, you know, help them to to feel better about themselves. And um, so... I had, because of this person I told you about, who I'd been working with also, I had gone into a way of being in the world where I was letting these two men who I really cared about help me feel worse about myself instead of better. And I was going, I was receding rather than coming out. Mm-hmm. And... And that's part of what happened in my book that I wrote, Get Lost Girlfriend, How I Found Myself When My Best Friend Dumped Me. Mm-hmm. I, I was beginning to see how I had become a codependent. And I know that's like a popular term right now. And, but it, it's, um, I was repeating the worst parts of what happened to me when I was little. I was repeating finding people to beat me up or to put me down. And I wasn't living with a loving God. I was living with a punishing God. And I was repeating that. And Even though you were aware of this nature, you'd, had, you'd spent this time with Jesus, but you were still being pulled into that old self. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because, you know, sometimes I think that those opportunities – However you want to call it, if you want to call it God or you want to call it something universal, if you want to call it spirit, has to wait for the right moment. And I wasn't quite ready. Mm. And I, um, I was at this workshop that I was telling you about, and there was a storyteller there. And he was telling a story about an ancient rabbi like from the 1600s called the Baal Shem Tov. I don't know if that means anything to you or not. No. But So he was in Hungary. And he's, and I, you know, my parents came, my, my ancestors are from Hungary. And so he was um, with his students and it was almost a Sabbath, you know, Friday night. And they thought that they, you know, they were in a horse and carriage and they were supposed to stop at uh, this beautiful mansion because, you know, wherever the Baal Shem Tov, this rabbi would stop, people would take him in, feed him, bed him and all that. It was a blessing for them. And, you know, he was he was like a priest. Right. And so um, he pushes them further. He goes to this farmhouse. Very, very, very poor farmer and his wife. They don't even have children. All they have is one cow. And the the Baal Shem Tov gets off there and the uh, farmer immediately invites him in. And his wife looks at him like, how are we going to feed these people and everything? And they sell their cow in order to feed the um the, the rabbi and his entourage and then they bed them and they get up the next morning and the Baal Shem Tov says to the farmer I had such a lovely time we're going to stay tonight too 
And oh, it, boy. <laughs> it forces the farmer to sell his farm. And his wife says, but you can't do that. We have nothing. He said, you can't send the rabbi away. And so he sells the farm. The rabbi stays over. And the next morning, the farmer is outside looking at his property. And he's standing by this tree when the local drunk comes up to him. And he says, you know, farmer, you have always been so kind to me. I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. And the farmer says, well, of course, why not? He says, well, nobody else treats me well. They treat me like I'm worthless. And he says, you know, when I die, I just want you to know there is treasure buried under this tree. And it's all yours. And the farmer kind of, you know, smiles gently and he's laughing inside and he says, you go and, you know, go and have a good day. Thank you. He doesn't tell him about his woes at all. And he's mourning the loss of his farm. The, um, the rabbi and his entourage leave. And he's kind of crying. And he goes in, he goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next morning. And there's a funeral procession coming down the road. And so he calls out. Who died? Who died? And, and someone said, oh, you know, is that drunk? No big deal. And he's mortified. Like, what happened? And how did that happen? And, and he remembers what the drunk said. And he thinks, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, it's just drunk talk. But he goes near the tree where the man pointed. And he starts pushing stuff away. And he starts digging. And sure enough, there's a box. And it's filled with treasure. And so he's able to buy back his farm and, you know, give his wife everything she's ever wanted and give himself things. They have a child. I mean, so in the next year, I mean, he's a wealthy, prosperous person who takes care of people around him um, as well as himself and his wife. And his wife says to him one day, you know, this all happened when the Baal Shem Tov came here. Shouldn't we go visit him and say thank you? And the farmer says, yes, of course, let's do that. And so they get in their own carriage with their horse, and they, they go to where they know he would be. Mm-hmm. And they go in and thank him. And the, the students are there who had been shaking their head all through this. They couldn't believe that the rabbi made this poor farmer give up everything for him. And when they leave, you know, with the blessings, the, the students say, so why did you do that? What happened? And the... Rabbi said to them, sometimes you have to lose everything to find the real treasure. Mm. And And what did that mean for you, Sharon? So I lost my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I lost my husband. I lost my, my mentor. I lost my house. I lost my dogs. Mm. And during this past year, miracles have happened to me. Uh, like all of a sudden, you know, Jack Hanfield, who was like my one of my mentors that I've uh, appreciated since I was, you know, 20, came into my life and I've been able to work with him. And you know, and he, he was the first person to read my book and uh, review it on Amazon. No kidding. And he he wrote. You know, I met this woman, you know, she's my friend, so I thought I'd read her book, but I figured it was going to be a chick book. 
And he said, I read it until 2 a.m. I, I had to finish it. It was such a good book, and it really touched me. And then he talks, and if you go to YouTube, you can see I've got a uh, talk with him where he talks about how he went through a best friend loss himself, and it was like 30 years, 40 years ago, and uh, he was carrying the pain of it in his neck. And there was a, a healer who worked with him, and he, uh, this was just a few years ago, and he touched his neck and he said, what happened when you were 24? And it brought tears to his eyes, and he talked about how he'd been friendly with a, uh, a black man who became a black Muslim. And when he became a black Muslim, he said, I'm sorry, Jack, I can't be friends with a white person anymore. And he left. And Jack had never mourned it. And what I talk about in my book is the importance of, you know, mourning it and then how you find yourself and you bring that love back into yourself. You don't have to take it from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And something, when you do that, you become more lovable. It's the weirdest thing. Like after I uh, went through the loss with my friend, um, you know, and that was one of those, you know, peeling away, right? Um, I worked something out with myself so that I think I did become more lovable to the women in my life. And I have, I have tons of friends now. I have tons of female friends who, as I was going through this divorce, I mean, they, they, it was like they put me uh, in a carriage and held me. And they would, uh, I felt buoyed up by them. Mm -hmm. And so even while I was losing uh, my relationship, my spouse, and I was like, oh my God, how can I tell people that I've lost everything? And... But gifts were coming to me, you know, opportunities were coming to me. Um, uh, at one point, so I, I, I had to go and find someone to work with because, I mean, as a trained person, I know uh, this much loss is a lot. It's mm -hmm. a lot. And um, an apartment right by Central Park, right by Columbus Circle, came into my hands, into my, uh, you know, being at half price. Oh, wow. What a nice spot. And, you know, it's airy. It's beautiful. I can work from here because usually the work that I do is either remote or I'm going to my clients or it's in a hotel somewhere. So I'm in this incredibly beautiful space with 24-7 doorman um, and the nicest people. And it, it's it's uh, how did that happen? Right. So. So even though I lost a lot, things had been coming into my life. And, um, you know, I'm moving from helping corporations market stuff that may or may not be great. Uh, you know, some, some of the things that I've helped them develop a relationship with their, their customers or their prescribing doctors, some of it's questionable. Like, you can put something out on the market that as long as it's more effective than placebo, you can market it. And the prices for that are really outrageous sometimes. And unless you're wealthy, you can't afford health care, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, especially today. And so, right. And so I want to I help people become their best. And so I've been segueing from doing the marketing research to taking the gifts, the love that has been given to me and inspiring people with it. I want to I help people to live their passion, 
not just to make a living, not just to, you know, be Joe in the volcano, if you remember that movie where, you know, there are automatons going through life and, you know, they've got a house, they've got whatever they need, but they don't have their soul. Yeah, they're not, they don't feel alive. I hear that a lot from people when you start talking about the subject and say, you know, what, a year from now, what would you love to be talking about? And something that comes up a lot, Sharon, is people say, you know what, I just want to feel like I'm alive, like I'm like I'm fully alive, and I don't know how to get there, and I don't know what that looks like. But, well, I, know, but I know I don't have it. So that's a gift that I have. Um, it used to be a fault, and when I was writing the book, you know, with with his friend, one of my faults was I'm I'm an intense person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I am. I always have been. And for some people, that's too much. But I can use that. I can use my intensity to touch people, to motivate people. And one thing about me, I don't get depressed. I might be sad, but I don't get depressed. I feel fully alive. Mm. And that is a gift, I think, that I have to, uh, to motivate people, is to feel their aliveness. Because when you're alive, then your passion becomes available to you. And then you know, you can figure out what it is you want to do with you know the rest of your life. And everyone's done a great job. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are right now, right? Correct. And, but if you can leverage the good parts and, and, and realize and be grateful. I mean, I, 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 I'm, the apartment that I'm living in, this condo, has a piano in it because the woman is a concert. She's a jazz pianist and she plays around the world. And I have, uh, I don't play piano, but I have a sign on there that says, there's always, always something to be grateful for. Mm. Um, And that's what I get about you, that you are just so grateful for every moment and the healing that comes with that, with knowing that there's something beyond us and being open to that is the biggest gift that we can share with anybody. Yeah, you know when you when you go through these these times that you know can can define you know who we are these these challenges these adversities and every single person you know listening every one of us has gone through what I call these process events um, you know from the highs to the lows heading hopefully back toward that next you know that next bright spot in our life. But, you know, at every point we have uh, a choice that we have to make. And it's do we focus on, you know, what's the circumstances and what's happening to me? Or, like you said, Sharon, if we approach things with some kind of spirit of gratitude and we just keep this little, sometimes when I was going through this, just that little teeny ember of hope alive that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Sometimes you know what it was so so hard that my my hope was just the next 5 minutes will be better than the last 5 minutes. I'm so sorry, well. And but if you can just focus on that on a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of hope like you talked about, all of a sudden you can start moving in a direction because I think that whole concept of joy is a completely internal process. You know, oh, yeah. happiness is something that's external, that's going to be how we react to what's going on outside of us. Um, but there is a way, and I think that's really, for me, what allowed me to tap into really feeling alive, is going through all this with a joy 
because my perspective was this is preparing me for something that I that I probably don't even understand right now, but it's it's going to be it's going to be gooder <laughs> than it is right now, and that's what's happened. I got to tell you what my life today, which I never would have envisioned, my accident was five years ago. Um, the friends that I have, the people that I get to sew into, the opportunities. My wife Sharon just came home from working full time to join me in building, you know, what, what in shepherding what, what 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 we have, and now she and I are working together, and that has just been one of the biggest blessings ever. Wow, you know, and you know, as you work with people, especially in the context of everything that's happened for you the last couple of years, what what have you learned in the last couple of years that's really helping you uh, equ- or equipped you to really? help people move into that place that you found? So it's about having self-compassion and learning to look in the mirror and tell that little face that I see on the other side as if it's the child within me that I love her. I love her. And that um, the world is a, a good place and a safe place and that, it's okay. And let me take care of you. You don't have to get it from someone else. Let me take care of you. And, and I started doing that. And in doing that, it, uh, when you love yourself, you can love other people. And oh my God, I, um, I so much enjoy helping people. I so much enjoy going from the strength in me, the emotional strength in me to offering it to others and so when I'm doing my supervision sessions, when I'm coaching people, um, because I have more love for myself, uh, I can help them help others. And so it becomes this beautiful, you know, like, like the droplet of water in a pond and how it ripples out. I love that ripple effect. And I know that you do that for people. You've already done it for me talking to you this morning. I feel like, wow, wow, that is such a motivating, inspiring story. And our stories inspire people. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I, I'm, you know, just as you're talking, I'm just reflecting back. Um, you know, before my accident, you know, I had everything going on from the outside that people would say, you know what, that guy's, that guy's doing well, right? The my house, my car, my job, the social, social circles that we were in, the charities that we were involved in. But I was, you know, Sharon, I was, I was miserable. And I think a big part of that was I didn't know how to love myself. And there were some, there's a lot of things in my past, right, that were these filters that are always running. But when I, at my accident, when I was in the presence, when Jesus was there and he told me that he was going to heal me, one of the things I reflect on all the time was the, the sense of love. It was so personal, one-on-one. I mean, like you think of how you, you know, that, that one relationship you have that just is, you know, just you think back on it and it's this bright moment where you're just accepted and loved unconditionally. It was like that, you know, to such a different level. But the thing that really struck me in that moment was like everything that I'd ever done in my past, anything I'd ever said or done good or bad was not even relevant to how much God loved me. And I realized for the first time, if the if if the creator of the universe loves me so intensely, you know what? I'm worthy of being loved. 
and and I'm worthy of loving myself. And when I accepted the person that God saw when he looks at me versus the person I was seeing in the mirror, for me, honestly, that's when everything started to change about not only how I saw God, but how I saw myself. And when all that was in alignment, then I was truly able to go and serve other people with a joyful heart and do it authentically with passion and in a way that just was invigorating. Even though, even today, I can only work 25 hours a week because I still have so many, you know, limitations, complications from the, the, the accident was so severe. But I, I don't see it as a limitation. What I see now, Sharon, is I am able to do on 25 hours a week working with God what I couldn't do on 60 or 70 hours a week before on my own. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's, it's really wonderful to just to, to reflect on that again. So can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. Uh, so when... Um, I finally moved down to New York, which was only back in June, um, because it didn't seem like being up in New Hampshire was the right place anymore. Um, A friend of mine put me on Millionaire Match, and I didn't even pay attention to it, but she met her husband that way, so she put me on Millionaire Match. And the person reaches out to me and says, you know, you have a nice profile, Uh, go look at mine. If you're interested, send me a note. And beautiful profile, no picture. So I said, um, why don't you send me a picture? So he sends me three pictures. And it's this spectacular looking human being. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and oh, my God, so related. We have, a, we have a, a nine-day relationship that was on text and phone. And it was like four or five hours a day. I'm texting and talking with this person. And... Like, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that such an incredible person came into my life. And I, I find myself really liking who I am. And, you know, being spontaneous, being authentic, and you're talking about your authenticity, being, um, being funny, being just so alive, just feeling so alive. On the ninth day, he asked me to buy him three computers and three iPads and send it to South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and, do you know, I was, I laughed. I laughed. I went, oh. And I, I wrote him a note and I said, you know what, you make a great copywriter. You really, you know, got me as your target market, who I was and what I needed. And you should be writing copy for me. I wasn't even mad at him. I was, I was fascinated at how well the stranger was able to read me and say exactly what I needed to hear and how, how it empowered me to be the woman I wanted to be. I loved who I was. It was a gift, and of course, I didn't send him any money. It was a gift. I, I almost felt bad that he worked so hard and he didn't make anything for it. But um, that's funny. That what a great attitude you had. Too. <laughs> but it, it it showed me what I had been missing. I had been. And walking, what was that? I had been missing someone who just appreciated me for who I was without having to change me. Mm. Like I had been in a relationship where I, I had become like horrifically codependent and 
I was walking on eggshells all the time and my life was an emotional roller coaster where somebody else had the controls over how I felt. So my self-esteem was up and down, up and down, mostly down. Every time I talked to my therapist, it would be down. Mm. And finally, it was like I opened my eyes and I went, you know, this is not right. I would not treat someone I was coaching like this. I wasn't being treated the way I treated others. And to have that kind of a negativity um, living with it, I couldn't be my best person. And so as horrible as it was, it's better for me to be free and discover myself and discover what I like about myself and who I want to be. Yeah. You know, so having my Jesus wrapping his arms around me, even though it's counter everything that I ever learned or had thought about, was what do I give myself? Mm -hmm. And how do I protect myself? And how do I feel strong in myself? You know, God forbid I won't be alone the rest of my life. I don't want to be. I love being in a relationship. But how do I now give me with that, you know, that fake Tom gave me. (laughs) How do I help myself love myself so that I can love other people just the way you were saying? Because that love that we get where we can appreciate who we are and our gifts, no matter what, no matter what pain we're going through, really inspires other people. Because, yeah, well, Sharon, as we, as we wrap up and people have been listening to this whole conversation, what, what final thoughts would you like to leave with, with everybody listening? Uh, so first of all, what just happened now, and I told you my hands come alive, I felt myself holding your hands, holding your wife's hands, and we're in a circle, and there's just like an aura, and I want to invite everybody to join hands with us and just feel the strength and the comfort and the beauty and the love that there are people in the world who really care, Mm. really, really care, and who really love with an open heart, authentically and with passion, and that that is there no matter what, no matter what. And I I am so inspired that in your 25 hours you're doing such a good job, and I think those other hours you're preparing, John. I think you're just in preparation mode during those other hours. That's the way I like to think about it, too. And how do people get in touch with you and, and you know find out more about you, Sharon? Well, they can go to getlostgirlfriend.com uh, where you can see my book. And they can also call me. I, I return calls. It might take me a while because sometimes I get a lot of them. But they can call me directly, 603-505-5000. That's my cell. And I promise I will get back. Just leave you know contact information. And if there's any way I can help anybody, inspire anybody, just send a major hug, heart hug to anyone. I love doing that. Thank you. And you also have the Livingston Group for Emotional Marketing. Is that part of uh, what you have also? Yes, it's tlgonline.com. Okay. tlgonline.com. So thank you so much for your time today. I just really enjoyed the you know meeting you in this conversation and and I would just encourage everybody out there is, you know, be that person today who just sows a little bit of life and love into just somebody around you. That just, you know, our, our motto that we always talk about with our kids 
you know, because, you know, teenagers can be typical teenagers, but it's always encourage and uplift, you know, in how you're talking with people, interacting with people, whether they're, you know, your peers, your boss, somebody, a stranger in, in line getting groceries. Can you just do something to encourage and uplift them? Because I think when you put that out there, it, it comes back into your life. And, you know, it's different for different people. I use humor a lot to to help people get over something that's bothering them. And that's me. You do it your way. Somebody else does it their way. Whatever it is, find your little way of putting love in the world. And whatever it is, just do it. And I agree with you totally, John. I, I, I love elevators and, and lines at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny. We have a lot of stories about that. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for your time. This has just been, just been wonderful. Thank you, John. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and the link to the show notes for this episode. By the way, if you're a regular listener to Eternal Leadership, could you give John and I a hand? Could you give us a rating and review on iTunes? It's how most people listen to podcasts and ratings and reviews help bump us up those charts. The higher we are, the more people that will stumble onto us. If you don't listen through iTunes, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>